episode 50, Cyclone Stop Sign. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a March 12, 2008 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Storm clouds are gathering on the horizon at the Kansas Historical Society. On March 21st, the museum's latest exhibit, Forces of Nature, blows into town. The exhibit examines how Kansans have adapted to the extreme weather of our state. To kick it off, we bring you up close with one of the most powerful tornadoes in history. Join curator Laura Van Orsdale and me as we take a look at a set of street signs from Greensburg, Kansas. In 2007, this city was nearly wiped off the map when a tornado descended from the sky. Find out what it takes to crumple a steel stop sign like an aluminum can. And since we're talking about weather, it would seem only appropriate to connect William Allen White, the world-famous Kansas newspaper editor, to the master of lightning, Nikola Tesla, as we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, Cyclone Stop Sign. Good afternoon, Laura. Good afternoon, Merle. Um, today we are going to talk about some uh, traffic signs. And these are not your uh, typical traffic signs, are they? Right, they're not. They actually are survivors of a traumatic event. <laughs> That's um, right. These signs um, survived a tornado that destroyed the city of Greensburg, Kansas on May 4th, 2007. What was the town of Greensburg like before May 4th? Uh, what was it best known for? Well, Greensburg is like um, a lot of small towns across Kansas. It's about, I think, about 1,500 people. It's not a very large town in southwestern Kansas. It's actually the county seat of Kiowa County, so a um, pretty important town in how, the area. How far is that from Wichita? Uh, it's a couple hours west, I okay. think. And let's see, what it's best known for, well, um, probably best known for the having the world's largest hand-dug well. Indeed. Um, which has been around since, I think, the 1880s. I think it was, was dug by hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's still there, and you can go and visit it. In fact, it survived the tornado, so, um, because, I mean, where else better place to be in a tornado than in a very <laughs> deep well? Exactly. So. If you're going to be a town hit by a tornado, it's, uh, you know... Yeah. The Big Well is probably a pretty good tourist attraction to have. That's right. Um, it's also known to have uh, one of the largest palisite meteorites ever uncovered, um, which I guess is another pretty big claim to fame. Um, what happened on May 4th, 2007? Well, uh, there was a very large storm that came through and pretty and leveled 95% of the town, unfortunately. Uh, this storm hit about, it was about 10 o'clock at night, came through little later than that, I think. And um, it came from the southwest and moved north. And it, it almost took a, a dead-on bead for Greensburg. Um, it was a very large storm, supercell, that produced a tornado, a wedge tornado that was probably at least a mile and a quarter wide, which is quite large. Most tornadoes are not that big. In fact, a tornado of that magnitude had not appeared, or had not been recorded in the United States since 1999. So um, kind of unusual to see one that large. And there was, fortunately for the people of Greensburg, um, the National Weather Service was watching this series of storms that was coming through. It was actually a very bad weekend for storms. And they were on top of it, and they saw this um, 
large storm that they were pretty confident was going to produce a large-scale tornado headed straight for Greensburg, and so they were able to get the warning out quickly. Um, in fact, the residents of Greensburg had something like 15-20 minutes warning ahead of time, uh, which is is great if you need to get to a large well, for instance, to take cover, or a basement would work just as well. So Greensburg, of course, wasn't the only town that was damaged. There were actually a series of several tornadoes that went through, and Greensburg lost 10 people. Um, 10 people were killed in the town, but there were uh, two or three other people who were killed uh, further to the north and east as well. And in fact, there was another storm, series of storms that came through the next day and killed another person um, to the north. So it was a pretty bad weekend for as far as storms go. And you were talking about the storm is like, what did you say, like a mile in diameter? Uh -huh. Yes. The, the I mean, that's the funnel. That's the tornado, that's the tornado right. itself. And if you look at aerial photographs mm -hmm. of Greensburg uh, after that, I mean, when you say that this town was 95% <laughs> destroyed, that's not like, you know, houses. That's not like houses like slightly damaged, right. you know. That's not just no. power shut off. That's houses gone. Right, right. Structures and blocks that mm -hmm. were there the day before were completely gone. And if I from the aerial photographs, like correct me if I'm wrong, but you can almost see the diagonal path that the mm -hmm. tornado took yes. through the town and there's two itty bitty, you know, if the town is a square, there's a couple buildings left right. in the very extreme corners, two uh -huh. corners, and then the rest of it is just wiped right. out. Well, and there are only there are well, only a few buildings that actually were still standing after the storm. I mean, the county courthouse, um, part of the top of it was taken off. The grain elevator was still standing. And if you see photos, a lot of times you can see the grain elevator. But every, I mean, things, like you said, just completely, completely <laughs> destroyed, everything gone. So it's really miraculous that only 10 people were killed. The Greensburg tornado ranked a five on the enhanced Fujita scale. What is the Fujita scale, and why was it enhanced? <laughs> well, it's not um, a scale of Mexican food, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> the Fujita scale is... A, it's not a mountain in Japan. No, no, no it's not that either. Um, actually, it's, it's a scale that's, uh, that meteorologists use to measure the speed uh, or to give a rough estimate of the wind speed of a tornado um, or a tornadic storm. And it was developed by a man named Ted, a meteorologist named Ted Fujita. <laughs> And uh, it basically, it, it's a little tricky because it doesn't actually measure the wind speed of the tornado. It estimates it. Um, what it does do is it looks at the damage that a tornado leaves behind. And then based on the damage is how they determine the speed of the winds. Mm -hmm. um, the because reason, logically, you can't. Right. You can't. You can't be at the right place at the right time. Because yeah. tornadoes are so In the middle so of random. a tornado. Right. And plus, the winds are so strong. It's just impossible. I mean, the chance of you, if you wanted to die by getting hit by a tornado, I mean, your chances are pretty slim. Mm -hmm. I think there's much more efficient ways to kill yourself. So anyway, so the scale, the, the tornado, actually, the Greensburg tornado was the first, I think you mentioned the first EF5 tornado um, on this new scale. What happened was the original um, Fujita scale basically took didn't take into account um, if it was a mobile home or a school, um, what kind of building it was that was damaged. And so in over time, people started to realize that that wasn't really very accurate. And so here in the last couple of years, they, the meteorologists and engineers started to do some research and um, some testing and determined that actual the actual wind speed that it takes to destroy certain structures is actually much less than what they had originally 
uh, assumed. So they adjusted the scale. And now instead of just saying, okay, well, this, you know, this building was completely destroyed, so therefore it's an F EF5 tornado that was 250, 260 miles per hour, um, now it's sort of like a scale where, okay, these mobile homes were destroyed, but also this school was destroyed. So it gets kind of complicated, but basically it, it's much more, it, it's assumed it's more accurate as far mm -hmm. as the wind speeds. And the wind speeds have been dropped. An EF5 tornado is right around 200 mile per hour winds, which the Greensburg tornado had, they think about 205 mile per hour winds. Uh, which That's is, insane. That's yeah. an insane velocity to wind. Mm -hmm. you imagine getting in the way of something blowing in that. <laughs> so, but, and, you know, the Greensburg tornado again was the first EF5 tornado recorded because the enhanced scale just went into effect in, in February of 2007, so just a couple months before um, this tornado. So if you look at these two signs that we have here, mm -hmm. they're they're deformed, and one of them is bent, and it's it's it's. Um, I think we've kind of concluded that a lot of the damage or the deformity to the signs was probably took place during this tornado. Is right. that correct? Right. Mm -hmm. So that would potentially be something that gets factored in. It could be yes into yeah. the damage mm -hmm. into the to see where something ranks on the Fujita right. scale. It's the damage that's left behind. Mm -hmm. Right. In 1955, a tornado killed 87 people in Udall, Kansas. Uh, 16 people died in the 1966 Topeka tornado. And finally, Greensburg, like you said, claimed the lives of 10 people. How do you account for the like slow reduction in casualties? Well, there's a couple things um, that are going on here. Probably uh, one of the biggest things is just the, simply the fact that from 1955 to now, we know a lot more about tornadoes. Um, they're probably one of the least understood meteorological phenomena, um, just because they're so random. We still don't understand exactly how they form or why they form. But um, we do know meteorologists have a lot better um, equipment to monitor these supercell storms. They know more about the storms that produce tornadoes. But really the biggest factor, the biggest difference between Udall and Greensburg probably is the fact that there's a warning system, a much better warning system now in place. Um, the people of Udall unfortunately didn't have any warning that a tornado, a major tornado was coming at them. In fact, that was something like 20% of the population of that community just gone in the, you know, what, five minutes that it took the tornado to go through their town. Um, the people of Greensburg had 20 minutes. So even though it was a much larger town, there, I think, you know, much larger, much more, many more people to get undercover, they had plenty of time to find um, a safe place. And, you know, they had the sirens going off, the sirens were in effect too. Um, Topeka, actually, the Topeka tornado, uh, when that came through in 1966, they were pretty lucky that they had any warning at all because the, there still wasn't a lot of warnings, but Topeka had an established spotters group. And so they So had, that's people with eyes on in right. their cars sitting watching. That's not just radar. Right. That's people, somebody on the road, you know, they get dispatched to a certain area and they sit there and watch. And the, those spotters were able to call back to Topeka and let them know that there was a very large tornado headed straight for town, and that tornado did millions of dollars of damage. So, um, so do you think because um, the Greensburg tornado hit in the middle of the night, didn't mm -hmm. it? It was ten o'clock. Yeah. Well, ten o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, that's typically that's not because that tornado. Th that's not that uncommon. Mm -hmm. No. But do you think that inhibits the role of the spotters then? I mean, if it's if they're sitting in the dark? <laughs> yes, I think so, too. It is hard to tell, although with a supercell of that size, there was a lot of lightning going on. Um, so it does. But it is when it gets dark, it's harder to see. Mm -hmm. So and especially if you're in a storm and where in where your location is, too. I mean, if you're at the wrong 
you know, if you're looking at it the wrong way, if it's raining in between you and the tornado, you might not be able to see it mm. either, too. So it's not an exact science by any means, but um, it really makes a difference. It's weird to think that, you know, even in this age of Doppler radar, that mm-hmm. there's still a human element to right. the whole storm predicting right. and storm and tracking of storms. Well, meteorologists work very closely with spotters. Train, you know, train even today spotters. they do. Even today. Even today. In fact, they still, the, the Topeka office of the National Weather Service, um, they have, they often will have uh, ham radio operator in the office with them when they're tracking a major storm so they can keep in touch with their spotters that way and the county emergency officials. And it's really um, involved. It's not just looking at the technology. You also need the people. In fact, it's uh, one other thing that's kind of interesting about the war Warnings um, in the late 1900s, um, the federal government outlawed using the word tornado in any kind of warning because they thought it would create too much of a panic. Um, people would be too upset if they heard that there was a possible tornado coming, and so they couldn't use the word tornado in any kind of warning until about um, the, the, that was sort of repealed, changed in the. 30s, 1930s. Um, Thank goodness. Yeah, but still, you know, until the 50s, there really wasn't any kind of reliable, any attempt to really predict tornadoes. So a lot has changed in the last 50 years. Along with the near uh, total destruction of all the buildings in Greensburg, (laughs) all the street signs and traffic signs vanished. Right. Um, What impact did that have? Well, you know, at first you might not think much, but um, when your town has been completely destroyed and every house is in rubble, um, you'd be surprised at how hard it is to get around (laughs) because everything looks the same. Um, In fact, not only did, I mean, there there were no buildings for landmarks. You couldn't, you know, oh, well, that's just down past the courthouse. Um, There's also no street signs, so you can't tell the difference between, you know, Sycamore and Maine because they all, everything looks the same. Not only that, but Greensburg had, uh, there was a tremendous amount of, of volunteers who came in to help with the cleanup as well as you have emergency responders, National Guard, you've got FEMA coming in, the Red Cross and the Salvation Army, they're all coming in to help and those people who'd never been to Greensburg before had no idea how to get around uh, to find, you know, food or water where the triage center was. So it's a logistical nightmare, you know, for not only the residents, but for other people coming in trying to help. So it's, um, those street signs would have been pretty important. And these are the street signs because along with the, like the stop sign and Mm -hmm. snow route sign that were damaged in the tornado, we have temporary street signs. Mm -hmm. And these were ones that were put up to replace the ones that were missing from the storm. And that was just to let people, you know, until they could get permanent signs um, erected again. Those temporary signs went up. Um, Following the tornado, many envisioned a new future for Greensburg. Um, What was that vision? Well, you know, it's interesting that the town's named Greensburg because people are really interested in rebuilding Greensburg as a green town. So now it's becoming, um, it's very interesting to watch and see how it's going to be rebuilt um, because a lot of people are trying to build more environmentally um, conscious, more green. So uh, it'll be fun to see how how it rebuilds. Mm -hmm. So. All right. Well, Laura, thanks for telling us about the Greensburg signs. You bet. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. And joining me today is Museum Assistant Director Rebecca Martin. Howdy. And Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. This week, we are connecting White to Nikola Tesla, the eccentric... Serbian-born physicist and electro and electrical engineer uh, that did amazing things in the field of magnetism and electronics. 
1856, he's probably best known for his rivalry with Thomas Edison. Um, and he was part of the Standards War to decide whether the world would use AC or DC power. Uh, it appears that this challenge electrified our listeners <laughs> because they sent in several solutions, uh, which I think reveals how fascinating both William Ellen White and Tesla are. Uh, here are some sample solutions. Well, first we have Kevin from Cedar Park, Texas. And Kevin writes, I worked on the six degrees of William Allen White, and the best I can come up with is William Allen White to Theodore Roosevelt to John Muir, who was the naturalist and founder of Sierra Club, to Edgar Rice Burroughs, author of the Tarzan series, to Edison to Tesla. I'm sure there is a closer connection. I'm guessing it might be through TR's trust-busting activities, but I can't verify that link. Well, Kevin, that's five degrees. Pretty good. Right, right. Trust-busting. And, and uh, I, I, I didn't see that one. No. I didn't see trust-busting. And we have to say, nice try, Kevin, but Nick got you. Uh Nick from Emporia wrote, Nikola Tesla received $150,000, 51% of which came from J.P. Morgan, in the 19 in 1900 to begin plans for the building of the Wardenclyffe Tower, an early wireless receiver. J.P. Morgan's wife, Frances Louise Tracy, and their daughter were friends with William and Sally White. They visited the Whites at their home, Red Rocks, in the early part of the 20th century. So that's Nikola Tesla to J.P. Morgan to Francis Louise Tracy to William Allen White, four degrees. So that's really interesting. Um, J.P. Morgan's wife was hanging out in Emporia. Am I reading that right? Looks like. That's amazing. Everybody knew William (laughs) Allen White. World famous journalist and... Well, raconteur, I guess. (laughs) And Emporia was the place to be. Didn't it sound good? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but um, Nick was actually tied in the win here with uh, yeah Patrick from New York, who also did it in four degrees. And the way Patrick did it was first he connects Tesla to George Westinghouse. They work together. George Westinghouse was replaced as chairman of Westinghouse by Robert Mather. And Robert Mather received an honorary degree from Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, in 1907. And guess who else received a degree from Knox but in 1920? William Allen White. You know who else received one? Barack Obama also got one from really? Knox College. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I wonder uh-huh. if we have a closer Barack connection here. <laughs> have to work on that eventually. Um, oh, and Patrick also wrapped things up by saying, quote, I was trying to find if William Allen White knew Mark Twain. Twain mm-hmm. and Tesla were friends, end well, quote. Well, there you have it, folks. Mark Twain, because Twain's the key to this solution, isn't he, Nikayla? He is. He provides the closest connection. Um, Mark Twain hung out with... Hanged out? Hung out with Nikola Tesla. (laughs) Twain was kind of into the paranormal and this, you know, and Tesla was kind of into that too. Yeah, along with thinking he could control lightning, he was also sort of into the paranormal. (laughs) So I think Twain actually hung out with Tesla in Colorado, didn't he, at the... I don't know. Twain may have visited him at his, like, because he had... um, Tesla had an invention studio basically in Colorado Springs where he sort of holed up for a couple years and 
like I said, mastered lightning. Was the atmosphere thinner there? Is that why you settled in Colorado Springs? Or I'm not sure why it ended hmm. up being Colorado Springs. Maybe you like the mountains. Too. Yeah, they're nice. <laughs> they are nice. But, but you know, I think it did have something to do with the fact that it was higher elevation, which mm -hmm. like helped conductivity of electricity. Mm. This is Nikola Tesla we're talking about. <laughs> okay, well, they. Twain and Tesla were friends. They knew each other. Um, and in the autobiography of William Allen White, he writes that um, he once attended a luncheon with uh, two of his friends from McClure's Magazine, and they also invented, er, invited Mark Twain. Oh. And Twain was in his declining years then. It was um, not too long before he passed away. And after they ate lunch, Twain proceeded to give a two-hour humorous presentation on himself that made everyone very uncomfortable. <laughs> they were bored to death, <laughs> and they had other things they needed to be doing, right? So um, William Ellen White had always held Twain in very high esteem. He, he liked his writing. I think he kind of modeled his own writing after Twain's writing. He kind of, you know, that folksy um, Midwestern style. And after that, he he still respected Twain, but he thought, you know, he was declining a little bit. And then a few years later, he passed away. So yeah. So there you have it. Tesla to Twain to William Allen White. He wow. must have really bombed to uh, disappoint <laughs> William Allen White. Yeah. Well, if it's your idol and he gets up there and bores you to death and makes a fool out of himself. <laughs> or Mark Twain is, yeah. You know. yeah. Yes. Well, luckily, probably a lot more people read Twain's books than William Allen White's autobiography. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah, we have Although, a lot of copies of the autobiography around here. And yeah. I might say to our listeners that you always go to the autobiography first to find the six <laughs> degrees. Wikipedia yes. second. <laughs> yes, and if you want to find a copy of the book, just go to any antique store. Because oh, yeah. if it's an antique store worth its salt, it will have at least two copies of the autobiography of William Allen True. Allen White. For about a buck fifty. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, Patrick, Thanks for uh, basically inadvertently solving that six degrees of William Allen White. Uh, Rebecca, you want to give next uh, the next the challenge for next. Rebecca, you want to give the challenge for the next episode? Yes, and it's a very timely one because we are basketball fanatics here in Kansas, actually, most, most of the nation, but especially in Kansas. And so we're challenging our listeners, can you connect William Allen White to the NCAA basketball tournament? It's a little non-traditional because we haven't like connected him to a uh, to an event or a phenomenon for quite some time. Um, so this will be different. So if you have a connection between William L. White and the Big Dance, send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. That concludes episode fifty. Cyclone stop sign. Starting March 21st, you can see these signs that survived the Greensburg tornado on exhibit at the Kansas Museum of History. Come back in two weeks when we take a look at a snow gate used on Interstate 70. Find out how this puny aluminum gate near Colby, Kansas can bring transcontinental commerce to a standstill. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories.